0: Well, welcome to quantum number 209, and uh, I'll tell you what, let's begin with some nice cheery Radiohead.
2: The green plastic watering can For a fake Chinese rubber plant and a fake plant Up from
0: Radiohead. I love that song, especially fake plastic trees. Now, the reason I'm playing that is because a lot of the news that we get and a a lot of the kind of lives we live, there's a fakeness and we're looking for a reality. And one of the things we do quantum is to try and bring some reality into the situation. Now, to understand what's going on, Sometimes we have to look at different things. So last couple of weeks ago, we looked at the Great Reset and uh, what exactly that is. And this week, I want to look at something called Nudge Theory. Now, Richard Thaler and Cass Sunstein wrote a book called Nudge. It has been an incredibly influential book. I remember when David Cameron, the then UK Prime Minister, picked up on it. And most Western governments, at least, if not others, have also been picking. The idea behind nudge theory is that rather than enforce things by law or force people to do things, that you nudge them. It's behavioral psychology. Uh, you use things like, for example, you use fear to say, wear a mask or you'll kill your granny For example, um, there can be other things, you know. So we try and nudge people's behavior. And there are whole government departments now which operate on this basis. And in the World Health Organization, they have a committee called the, um, I think it's the Chair of Technical Advisory on Behavioral Insight. And it's looking at how they can nudge people. And uh, behavioral insight is just nudge theory. And Cass Sunstein was the chair of that committee. But the new chair is this woman. My politics are not anything to do with my scientific advice. And um, I've never discussed my politics um, with uh, people like yourself, so nor am I going to now. Um, The important thing is that when one gives scientific advice, one does so uh, using the expertise one has, not going beyond the expertise, being transparent about um, what expertise you provide. And I think that um, the kind of articles you referred to um, are a really disturbing kind of uh, McCarthyite witch hunting, which I don't think should have any place in a liberal, tolerant society. That is Susan Meakey, um talking about how uh, she has been a member of the Communist Party for 40 years. Now, she's being disingenuous there because she's suggesting that her politics, her membership of the Communist Party, has nothing to do with her job. I want you to imagine for a minute that she was a member of the Nazi Party or she was a member of a fascist party. Would, do you think that the media and others would accept, oh, that's got nothing to do with it, she just does her job? No, not at all. Well, am I comparing communism and Nazism or communism? I absolutely am. Both deadly totalitarian ideologies. And the fact that this woman was on a British government committee is bad enough, but now on the, on the WHO, not so good. I think uh, Unheard, when they spoke about this, suggested that there's a problem, and this is a key problem. The fundamental questions of how a society should be organized are being taken out of the political sphere, where they can be debated and ultimately rejected at the ballot box. But they're now being hardwired into new pseudo scientific disciplines that are then treated as unquestionable expertise. Experts say that. Experts say that. Now, why the WHO would want to nudge populations rather than simply come out with technical advice is a difficult one to grasp. You know, it's, it's the way that the world is going, we're not being paranoid to be aware of this kind of thing. Now, h- here's an example.
3: A month ago, I convened the emergency committee under the international health regulations to assess whether the multi-country monkeypox outbreak represented a public health emergency of international concern. At that meeting, while differing views were expressed, the committee resolved by consensus that the outbreak did not represent a public health emergency of international concern. At the time, 3,040 cases of monkeypox had been reported to WHO, from 47 countries. Since then, the outbreak has continued to grow and there are now more than 16,000 reported cases from 75 countries and territories and five deaths.
0: That's the head of the WHO speaking about monkeypox. Now, this global health emergency. They're very quick to have said this about monkeypox. They were very slow to say it about COVID. What's going on there? Well, monkeypox, to give you some idea, it's affected 15,800 people in 72 countries. That sounds like a huge amount, but it's not. It's a mere 0.0001% of the world's population, one in a million, and there's a grand total of five deaths. So what's this great emergency? Even if these deaths were spread evenly across the globe, which they're not, they're mainly in Africa, It would be 0.03%, 3 in 10,000 of people who are actually infected. So, the present figures indicate you have a one in a million chance of being infected with monkeypox. And if you're infected, you have a 3 in 10,000 chance of dying. However, your chance of getting monkeypox is even less because 95% belong to one single high-risk group, men who have sex with men. Now, I think this is a completely contrived story. I think declaring a worldwide emergency uh, is completely over the top and, and fake, really. One source claims that monkey monkeypox-specific vaccines have been in preparation for at least two years. And the US government recently ordered two and a half million doses of monkeypox vaccine. And are even suggesting vaccinating children against a disease that is so rare, it's one in a million, and is largely transmitted between adult male homosexuals. You know, again, you, you start to think there's going to be an awful lot of people or maybe just a few people making an awful lot of money. Right, coming back to nudge theory, uh, let's talk about climate change again. Now, somebody did ask me, and since you asked so nicely, I am going to repeat this. It was quantum number 165 from September last year. Uh, you can get that, it's still available. It was one of the most listened to ones, which was a climate change special. But I was asked, what is the Christian view? I was taking a task a little bit, and maybe it's a, a just criticism saying, well, what, what is the Christian view on all of this? Well, I would argue that there are Christian principles that apply. Uh, God doesn't tell us, oh, by the way, earth is warming at this, and this amount is uh, because of uh, human action and so on. But he does tell us these are brains. And what I would say is, what the Christian is, this is, God is sovereign over the weather. We are not in control. That's one fundamental thing. When human beings start saying we are going to reduce the rate of temperature increase or we're going to do this, that is hubris. It is just wrong. I would also want to say in the light of Romans 8 that the whole of creation is groaning in frustration, waiting for the children of God to be revealed. And that's just saying there is this struggle within creation. And I would say the Christian perspective is that we are we should care for the environment, we should have stewardship, but it should be humble stewardship, and it should be prayerful stewardship. And that does mean that we have to be skeptical about grand claims, but not uh, and, and sceptical about people who are making, I would say, delusional claims, or, you know, conspiracies and everything else. So here's where my skepticism leads me for it. Let's just give you this one example. Last week I mentioned about the high temperature in the UK. They did manage to get over 40 degrees at one point and, you know, all the catastrophizing which comes across in that. And I pointed out that the two places where that happened were both runways. Uh, Now, I've read a fascinating article I want to share with you because I'm so sceptical about this. So, here's a fascinating fact. About one half of all land surface temperature measurements used to show global warming and promote the command and control net zero agenda are taken near or adjacent to airport runways. This is from research by Professor Ross McKittrick. And uh, why are airports uniquely unsuitable for providing an insight into global temperatures? Many of them are major industrial complexes spread over miles of heat-radiating tarmac and concrete containing industrial buildings and subject to constant superheated jet exhaust measuring hundreds of degrees centigrade. The three major global surface data sets, HADCRUT, NASA runs the Goddard Institute for Space Studies, GISS record, and the US National Weather Service does, NOAA it's called. All three global averages depend on the same underlying data from the Global Historical Climatology Network, GHCN. And all three of them have made significant adjustments, which has had the effect of increasing recent warming and cooling the historical record. Professors William Happer and Richard Lindzen have argued that NASA and NOAA have been fabricating temperature data, trying to argue that rising CO2 levels have led to the hottest year on record. (laughs) These are false and manipulated data. These surface data sets are used to weaponize the weather in, in terms of political interests. Is this to deny that global warming is occurring? I don't think it is. But I think it is to suggest that some of what we are told is exaggerated. And again, this is a fascinating thing. McKittrick says that the number of weather stations providing data plunged in 1990 and again in 2005. And what that did was it meant that 50% of data now comes from airports. Uh, they've removed relatively more cooler high-altitude monitoring sites. They say they're applying correcting adjustments, but as we say in Scotland, I I I doubt. Again, these are the words of Happer and Lindsay. Misrepresentation, exaggeration, cherry-picking, or outlight lying pretty much covers all the so-called evidence marshalled in support. It, of the theory of katast- catastrophic global warming caused by fossil fuels and CO2 now they may be wrong that's the point of being skeptical but that's why I think one of the Christian attitudes is to try and think and investigate different things but to realize often we just don't know anyway, time for some GJK you told
2: me this you told me that' trying to tell me. Tell me where it's at You said you love me I can't see through that Lies, lies, lies You left me hanging Hanging from the limb You said you love me Then you left with him Lord
0: See it in your eye. Lies, 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 lies. Why am I saying that? Not to do with global warming. Uh, came across this. A survey for the Campaign for Common Sense has found that the British public grossly overestimates the size of the LGBT community. Now this is not new information. We've uh, been aware of this in the US and elsewhere. The British public think that 5% of the population is transgender, when it's around 0.3%, if even that. The British population think that gays and lesbians make up 15% of the population, while the true number, including bisexuals, is about one8 Muslims are perceived to make up 15%, but the real number is 4%. Now, why? Because the way the media present things gives people that impression. And it's falsehood. It's just wrong. As we go down the American route of seeing everything through the prism of identity, then certain groups tend to be exaggerated more than others. In other words, we get nudged a particular way. Now, speaking of being nudged, I would argue we've been nudged away from Christianity. Um, Here's something that happened in Australia last week.
2: When you heard Scott Morrison uh, give that speech at a church over in Western Australia saying that uh, we don't believe in government, we don't believe in the UN, uh, we put our trust in God instead, what did you think?
0: I just thought, um, wow, uh, this this guy was the Prime Minister. That is the Australian Prime Minister known as Albo, uh, talking about the former Prime Minister known as ScoMo. I love the way that they they, they they do these nicknames. What did ScoMo say that Albo was so horrified about? Scott Morrison, in a sermon, said, We do not trust in governments and the United Nations in the same way as we trust in Jesus Christ. Don't put your trust in princes. It's standard Christian doctrine, to be honest. It's standard doctrine from any religion. And, to be honest, it's standard... For most normal human beings who do not accept that governments are absolute or are saviours. But this was met with horror by some. This was, um, Albo talked about it being a conspiracy theory. Well, I've, I've written about this and I'll put a link to it. But it is quite astonishing that we have we now have that level of ignorance in our culture. And we'll stay with Australia. Um, Listen to this. They are not wearing a jersey as it conflicts with their cultural and religious beliefs. And I am concerned for their welfare. Their spirituality is a central part of their well-being. The club has made an error from which it, and we will learn, The players will not play on Thursday, and we accept their decision. That's Des Hasler, who actually made a very brilliant speech on this particular subject. He's in charge of Manly uh, Rugby League Club. Uh, Believe it or not, for those of you from the UK or from America, you don't know what rugby league is. It's a big sport here in New South Wales. Um, Seven players from the Australian rugby league team Manly are... Boycotting a game, uh, as I'm recording this, this is tonight, it'll be over by the time you hear this, Uh, because they've been told to wear a jersey celebrating LGBTQ plus rights. They're called the the Sea Eagles, this team. Well, seven of the players are opposed to wearing it on religious and cultural grounds. And you'll forgive me saying this, but all hell has broken loose here with... The Sydney Morning Herald carrying one to two articles every day condemning these players, the ABC and others. Lots of outrage from people. And to be quite frank, lots of racism. Cultural imperialism. Well, you know, what can we say about this? I am going to write some more stuff about it, but let me put it this way. Supposing these clubs had been told... These players, all the players, had been told to wear a jersey with a cross on it, to to identify with all the Christians who've been persecuted, or to wear a Star of David. Do you think that would have happened? Do you think they would have been compelled to do it? No. There is we we're, we're all got to bow down before this particular ideology. Well, not, not quite all of us. The Muslim woman Hanin Zarika will not play this weekend for her team Greater Western Sydney AFL which is Australian rules football and uh, she's not being criticised for that because she won't wear that jumper there's something going on when we are being nudged if you like towards accepting some groups and rejecting others towards accepting some philosophies and rejecting others i tell you what Listen to this.
2: Our father
0: was Yolanda Adams at the Washington Memorial Service in 2010 singing the Lord's Prayer public event in a country which has separation of church and state but nonetheless very significant and very important now here in Australia the new senate president Sue Lyons says she wants to see the long-standing tradition of reading the Lord's Prayer at the start of each sitting day gone and this is what she said she's an atheist she's an atheist And, I mean, this has been read in both houses of Parliament at the start of each sitting day since 1901. And grasp what she's saying here. On the one hand, we've had almost every parliamentary leader applaud the diversity of the Parliament, and so if we are genuine about the diversity of the Parliament, we cannot continue to say a Christian prayer to open the day. I would like to see the prayers gone. I'm an atheist. I don't want to say the prayers. If others want to say the prayers, they're open to do that. Can you grasp what she's saying? Because she certainly can't grasp it. In order to have diversity, she only wants what she wants. Anything that's out with her scope, that's not diversity. Okay, nudge again. That's all been happening with the trans stuff. Uh, Just let me mention a couple of things that we're keeping an eye on with all of this craziness. Uh, The Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists have said that... uh, Breastfeeding should be referred to as chest feeding for the sake of the handful of trans men who do that. Now, I first reported on this over three years ago, and I was roundly abused. And even the they denied it, that they were doing this. But I was told by people on the inside that that's exactly what was happening, and now it's come out publicly. Stonewall this week suggested put out a tweet suggesting... Research suggests that children as young as two recognise their trans identity. They really are going after the kids. Now they want toddlers being taught their perverse ideology. And in another thing, gender activists have pushed or are pushing to bar anthropologists from identifying historical remains as male or female. You, as they say, you couldn't make this stuff up. And then I came across an astonishing thing. Whilst Christians will be banned, or other people will be banned, for misgendering someone from Twitter and Amazon will ban books and so on. There's a person called Trimble who describes himself as a transgender feminist. Trimble uh, is has a book, Finding Purpose, One Transgender Woman's Journey. It's available on Amazon, uh, writes in different magazines, uh, describes herself, himself as a transgender feminist writer, activist and author. Uh, Trimble is in jail for kidnapping two nine-year-old girls, taking them to the woods and raping them, where in prison he raped, tortured and finally murdered his mentally disabled cellmate. And yet they're given a voice. Okay, something else new. You you think, nah, it's not going to get any worse. Guess what this one's about. Mm-hmm. Smart Knopfler's Cannibal. Um, I'm really not going to say much about this, except to say that I think it's the New York Times. Yes, it was. I read this in the New York Times. Had an article talking about uh, novels like Yellow Jacks or shows like Yellow Jacks, novels like A Certain Hunger, um, books, Tender is the Flesh, basically exploring cannibalism. I feel like the unthinkable has become the thinkable, Ms. Lyle said. And cannibalism is very much squarely in that category of the unthinkable. You think we're progressing? We are absolutely regressing. Okay, I want you to hear this. This is from Ricky Gervais.
1: Atheism is only rejecting the claim that there is a God. Atheism it isn't a belief system. Um, you believe in one God, I assume? Uh,
0: in three persons, but go
1: ahead. Okay, so you believe... Okay, so... But there, are, there are about three thousand to choose from that have been, you know, people who believe in. I've done time. some reading. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so, so basically, you believe in, you, you, you deny one less god than I do. You don't believe in two thousand nine hundred and ninety-nine gods, uh-huh. and I don't believe in just one more. Right. If we take something like any fiction in any holy book in any other fiction yeah. and destroyed it yeah. okay in a thousand years time that wouldn't come back just as it was yes. whereas if we took every science book yes. right and every fact and destroyed them all in a thousand years they'd all be back because all the same tests would be the same result
0: we're talking about christianity two things there uh, there are people who regard that particular clip and that those two arguments as absolutely brilliant they are not the, the one that there are 3,000 gods, well, they're not. They're human beings. have had many more gods than that. I think Hinduism alone probably is around a million. But the argument that there are 3,000 gods and we just go one less, no. Ricky Gervais is displaying ignorance there and it's very simple. By definition, there can be only one almighty creator who created everything. You can have created gods, in uh, you know, created gods versus versus the creator, is an absurd thing. Um, and then his comment about all scientific facts would come back. No, they wouldn't, actually. Science has often changed. And what he's doing is he's presupposing that religious facts are not facts. So let's say um, the atheists succeeded in shutting down prayers in schools, in nudging society all the way. Would that take away from the fact that Jesus rose from the dead? No, it wouldn't. It's still a fact. Gervais does logical fallacies, goes unchallenged, doesn't permit challenge, and people think it's brilliant because it confirms their prejudices. Where does this all this lead? Well, you know, we have got something else. I'm going to give you a quote from a consultant and senior lecturer in old age psychiatry in King's College, London. I picked this up from my friend David Meredith. He says this, Humans are not designed to be happy or even content. Instead, we are designed primarily to survive and reproduce like every other creature in the natural world. A state of contentment is discouraged by nature because it would lower our guard against possible threats to our survival. And I love what David quotes from Jesus. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Do you know what? That is the difference. There's a lot of this stuff that we looked at. You know, people are nudging people and getting people to fear. In C.S. Lewis's words, the Christian often is surprised by joy. Our motivation is love. Um, we we don't need to nudge people. I think what Christ does is he he fills us, he inspires us, he motivates us. I'm going to leave you with this. Song uh, says the opposite of of the psychiatrist quote. It's happy day, or oh happy day, when Jesus washed my sins away. Oh happy
2: day, oh happy day, oh, happy day. Oh, happy day. when Jesus washed. Oh, when He washed. When Jesus washed.
0: this world where cannibalism is, people are reintroducing it, where people are confused about what a human being actually is, where people are trying to ban the Lord's Prayer or insist that uh, rugby players have to wear symbols that they don't agree with, where Christian political leaders are mocked for saying government is an absolute where there's so much confusion about so many different things and so much evil and so much fakeness, so much plasticness. We've got reality and the reality of Christ brings joy. So I'm going to leave you till next week. I keep promising this. I will try and do the Scottish one for for next week. If you want to help support us on the Podbean, Podbean fundraiser, go to the website. You'll get all the links to different things here. Uh, You got any questions, comments, please feel free. Always appreciate getting them, even those that might be perceived as negative. It's very helpful for me, uh, as well as humbling. Um, But, you know, in the midst of the sorrow, we can know joy. And we're not just here to reproduce and survive. We are here to glorify God and enjoy him forever. God bless you and see you next week. I have been me how to walk.
2: i